invite your attention now to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23. Those of you that were not here last Sunday, we began what we feel the Lord would have us to bring over the next, for our goal anyway, the next three years, a study on what our forefathers believed about the Bible. And so today we want to think along this line of the celebration that we are participating in in regard to what our forefathers stood for. And we're going to be continuing and going back and finding how they believed about the scriptures and how they studied the Bible. So we trust that if God is merciful and allows us to continue and gives us strength to bring these particular messages, that our hearts and lives will be blessed together as we study. And while the centennial observation will be over today, I hope that it will just be beginning for us as a church and that we might not just, uh, after the smoke is cleared and the last pop is gone today, Then we revert to our usual ways, but we might be most grateful as to what this country has meant. And being a called minister of God, I feel it my duty then to impress upon us just exactly what our forefathers believed and which made this country so great and which that we need to examine carefully their beliefs and compare them with ours to see whether or not that the principles we're endorsing would be the same as they did. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. We concentrated last Sunday on this phrase, continuing in the faith, grounded and settled, grounded and settled in the faith. And we tried to concentrate upon the presentation that it was the duty of all Christians to be settled in the doctrine of faith, that we were to not be tossed to and fro with every form of doctrine which comes along, but that we are to be settled or have a peaceful relationship with the truth of God. Now, today, we want to bear out this particular thought, and that is, what is the best way for Christians to be settled? What is the best way for Christians to be settled? And I think that it's connected with our text, and that is to be grounded, to be grounded. And this would be likened unto the ship that is settled upon the sea, and It is there, it is not moving, because it is anchored or grounded to that which is below. And so Paul is using these words in a comparison, grounded and settled. If we are to be settled in the faith, then we must be grounded in the faith. And so this word that is used here for grounded comes from a word which has reference that the Greeks use for a building of a foundation that was well laid. And we are familiar with whenever a building is erected, 
the length or duration of stability of that building will depend upon that which goes underground. Many times the most important facet of a building is not the external beauty which we see above the ground, but how much time has been placed in laying a proper foundation below that which we rarely ever see, but yet it's there. And so Paul would say that it is our duty to be grounded and settled in the faith in the likeness to a building that has had a foundation which has been well laid. And the emphasis is that we as Christians should be grounded in the essentials or the fundamentals of our faith so as to have our foundation well laid also. Now, this emphasizes that Christians have a duty to be grounded in the knowledge of the fundamentals of the faith. Turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 5. You have your Bibles. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. Hebrews 5 and verse 12. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of meat. Now, I want you to pull out a, a, prince, uh, a statement in this verse. Paul says, you have need that one teach you, and then he makes reference to something. The first principles of the oracles of God. That is the foundation principles of that which God has revealed concerning himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. There are foundational principles of the Christian faith. That is, these are principles which must be laid down beneath the surface of our lives, and yet they must be laid strongly and firmly, or else there will be a tendency in our lives as Christians to sort of not be able to grasp the whole truth, but to be tossed here, to be tossed there, and not to be settled or grounded in the faith if we are not appreciative of the foundational principles of God. To illustrate this, in every art and science, such as logic, physics, and mathematics, there are basic rules and principles which must of necessity be understood before those sciences can be practiced. In other words, if you are going to be a mathematician, you cannot just begin with a book of geometry or a book of algebra trigonometry, there are some basic principles and rules of math which you must be introduced to before you'll ever be able to be, uh, to be at ease with these more difficult sciences of mathematics. In everything, this is true. You take that of carpentry or that of, of a brick mason, whatever it is. There are some basic principles and fundamentals, some of the first oracles, which must be laid as foundational work before you can proceed to build thereon. That's why in our public schools or in our system of learning that we take a child when that child is young and we begin to introduce them to the basics of each of the sciences and the arts, so that they may be able to then, once the foundation has been laid, to build upon that foundation. Now, as this is true in art and science, it is also true in religion. 
there must be first principles laid down, or else we will find ourselves opening the Bible as maybe a fifth grader would open his, uh, rather, his trigonometry book and wonder, my, where do I begin? And I fear that this is much of a need that is necessary in our lives throughout this nation right now, that we reevaluate how our forefathers taught the scriptures and to see just what they taught and to see what the foundational principles are so that we can compare how our foundations have been laid with theirs to see how we are building thereon. Now, what is the usefulness of being grounded or rooted in the faith? I'll give to you three or four, and the first one is, if we are not grounded in the faith, we cannot serve God properly. If we are not grounded in the faith, we cannot render the proper service to God that he asks of us. We can never worship God acceptably unless we worship him regularly. And we can never worship him regularly unless if we are unfamiliar with the rules and the principles of our Christianity. If we are to give God our reasonable service, which he says we are to do, to do in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, to give unto God your reasonable service, if we are to do this, we must understand what the grounds of our religion are in order to give him this service. Another reason or an advantage of being grounded in the faith which was once delivered unto the saints is that it enriches our minds and directs our course of life. Have you ever seen uh, a boat that has broken loose and has begun drifting out upon the sea? Whichever way the wind comes, well, that's the way that boat goes. It has no course. An outside force is directing its course. And if we are not grounded and rooted and settled in the faith that is once delivered unto the saints, we will have no goal in life. We will have no course, but whatever wind comes along, it'll blow us this way, and a wind may come from the other way, and we find ourselves not our own master, but having masters outside of ourselves which are tossing us to and fro. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And as the eye in the human body gives direction to that body, so the knowledge of the fundamentals of Christianity directs us in the course of Christianity, or the course in which our life should take. As I would not be able to walk very easily anyway from here to the back of the building if I did not have an eye, the purpose of that eye is to give me a vision to see the course that I might take. And the purpose of laying foundational principles in the Christian faith, setting forth the first principles of the oracles of God, laying that foundation is in order to give us a course whereby we can see as Christians how that we are to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. How that we are to do like the song says, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. But yet we cannot do this if we do not have a course, some steps in which that we are pursuing. And in order to do that, those steps must be laid upon a firm foundation, the first principles of the oracles of God.
This knowledge of the fundamentals of the of Christianity is the golden key which unlocks many of the chief mysteries of God. When you began reading your Bible, if you are a normal person, and even if you are above normal in your capacity to understand and to, to learn, you will still come across many passages of Scripture which are difficult to understand. Peter described Paul as being a person who, much of his writings, he uttered hard things to be understood. And these difficult passages will not unfold to us without the fundamental understanding of the principles of God. Without knowing that two plus two equals four, we'll not be able to know that pi r square and all of this. And I don't understand all of that. That just sounds, I, that came back from my memory as an as a, a individual in high school. Those of you that really understand that, well, maybe you can go over the first principles of it again with me. But two plus two will enable a child to be able to understand some of the more advanced, difficult passages of mathematics. And if we do not understand the basic fundamentals of Christianity and begin to see what the foundation is, then when those passages of Scripture that we come across in the Bible, we'll not be able to have them open up unto us. So God help us to be able to be grounded in the faith. Then another reason why it is advantageous to be grounded in the faith, and that is it furnishes us with our spiritual armor in which to fight the adversaries of truth. Our weapons of warfare as Christians are not carnal. They are not a gun. They are not a knife. Our weapons are spiritual. And by that, the battle lies in the minds of men. That is, in what people think and what we teach. What I'm teaching here this morning will influence some of you. What I'm teaching here this morning is going to, whether you agree or not, it's going to have an effect upon you, and you either will acknowledge, yes, I believe he has a point there, or else you say, I disagree with that entirely. You see, what I'm saying is that the old adage down through the years, the pen is mightier than the sword. Why is the pen mightier than the sword? Because when a person picks up a book and begins to read it, he's influenced in his mind, and as he thinks, that's what's going to control him. And a man may come along with a sword and make that person do something, but when you have his mind, you have him, you see. So our battle for truth today is against Satan as he longs to control the minds of men, and this comes through truth and error. So you see, this is a great task that we have in laying foundational principles, because as a man thinketh, why, that's how that man is. And incidentally, let me interject something. Uh, this is why we are having some upheavals now in our political systems now here in America, because there are philosophies which are being set forth which are contrary to the principles on which this country was founded. And you see, there's no sword that's out in the American land today saying, now you either do this or we're going to cut off your head. 
But there are philosophies and thinkings of men that are influencing people. And as a result, we see some of the foundations being eroded as people are led into to adopting these particular philosophies. So the pen is mightier than the sword. And it is advantageous for us as Christians to be able to put on our spiritual armor and be well grounded in that it gives us our weapons to be able to answer our adversaries of truth and to give a reason for the faith which is within us. Then the next reason why it's good to be grounded in the faith, and that is it prevents the misuse of Scripture. It helps to prevent the misuse of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, that we be henceforth no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Now I want you to have your Bibles to turn to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. And bear what our text has said, grounded and settled. And now we want to show you a contrast to this. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, and as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of those things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction." Now, notice the term in here, those who are unlearned and unstable. Now, compare that in contrast with grounded and settled. A person who is not properly grounded is a person who is unlearned in the principles of his art. The person who is settled is the person in contrast to the person who is unstable. Grounded and settled in contrast to unlearned and unstable. So there is a contrast. And the unlearned and the unstable are the individuals that Peter says that they rest the scriptures to their own destruction. They are unfamiliar with the foundational principles of the oracles of God. Now, what is the method by which that we can be grounded in the faith? How does this come about? And so we'll give it to you very quickly. And the method by which we come grounded into the faith is, now hear me carefully, by the presentation of the truth of God in a doctrinal fashion. I'll say it again. The presentation of the truth of God in a doctrinal fashion. The apostles preached doctrine. They didn't know anything else to preach. They didn't have a lot of stories. They didn't have a lot of things which tickled the ears of men. They had doctrine, hard doctrine, but that doctrine was truth. Acts 2.42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Acts 5.28, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.6, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.13, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. 
Second Timothy 4.10, Paul says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine. Titus 2.1, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. You go through the Bible and you'll find it being emphasized over and over and over again, the importance of doctrinal teaching. Because this is the type of teaching which grounds individuals and enables them to be settled as a ship is upon the sea that will keep them from being tossed to and fro with every form of doctrine that comes along. Now, I want to interject a little note here because I think it is important that we understand this. Doctrinal preaching, beloved, is not exciting to the flesh. I want that to be understood. Doctrinal preaching is not exciting to the flesh. Doctrinal preaching is when you went to school on Sunday, on uh, Monday morning, and it was nine o'clock, and the teacher said, open your English book. And you opened it. And oh, you just loved to get into it, didn't you? No, there was some hard work ahead. Doctrinal preaching will not excite the flesh. And this is in contrast to about 90% of the type of preaching that we hear throughout our land today. Today's preaching is in contrast with that which is truly biblical preaching. Most preaching today is not designed to instruct the mind, it's designed to excite the emotion. Most preaching today is designed to entertain rather than to exhort and encourage. Most preaching today, a pastor or an individual takes the text of Scripture as a springboard, and then he spends some 30 minutes telling illustrations and stories. And as a result, why, there are several things happen. You find yourself crying at a certain time. You find yourself laughing at a certain time. You find yourself tense at a certain time. You found yourself relaxed at a certain time. And all of these are carrying you through the gamut of particular emotions. But yet there is very little instruction in truth that the individual is setting forth. And so you may leave and mild you've been excited. You've been to a place like a ball game where the individual hits the home run and you're ready to release that emotion. But yet, when it's all said and done and the smoke clears and the crowd leaves, a few hours later, how much of it is left? It's sort of like the, the uh, celebration of the fourth. You go and spend all the money on the firecrackers and so forth, and then after it's all gone, what's left? A little smoke, a little smell, and a few papers out in the out in the yard. Oh, my friend, let's compare this in contrast with biblical preaching. Turn to Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four, and see how Paul commanded a young preacher to preach. And let's compare this in contrast with most modern style preaching. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be diligent in season, out of season, reprove, exhort, rebuke, I'm sorry, with all long suffering and doctrine. Now why, Timothy? 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Well, what do they want in contrast to sound doctrine? But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And it's a most interesting study to see what the Jewish people taught and how they taught and the fables and the things that were set forth. And to see that Paul was warning Timothy, Timothy, do not bring forth such style sermons that it only attracts the itching ears of a person, but you preach in a doctrinal fashion with all patience and long-suffering. Now, this is in contrast with most modern preaching. And you go back, I was sort of encouraged, I saw in the paper yesterday, uh, pastor, I believe, of the University Heights Baptist Church in Springfield was going to uh, preach Jonathan Edwards' sermon on sinners in the hands of an angry God. And if you've never heard or read that sermon, you ought to get a hold of it, because that was the sermon that God used to bring forth what is known as the Great Awakening here in the English colonies. And it'll, it's, it sure is a different style sermon than what you usually hear today. If you'd like to read that sometime, I have a copy of it in my library. But this is, his sermon was based upon doctrine, and doctrinal preaching is not exciting to the flesh. I had an individual about three years ago come up to me, and uh, he said, uh, come into my office. And he sat down and he said, preacher, you're about the most boring thing I've ever listened to. Well, I knew I was in for it right away, so I said, all right, why am I boring? And he's, I happened to be preaching through the book of Romans at that particular time, and I think we'd been about six months on the first six chapters or so. And he said, all you ever preach on is doctrine. I'm so sick of doctrine. And those were his very words. And then he proceeded to go on and and uh, get a few other things out of his system. And all the time I sat there, and while that the flesh was cringing, there was that inner spirit just saying, Thank you, Lord. That's what you've called me to do, is preach doctrine. This particular type of individual desired a particular type of sermon, and he wasn't getting it. So he became very, very bored, because all we ever preached on was doctrine. My friend, this is a short life that I have as a man of God. I don't know how much longer God would enable me to live, but I know life is short. And I know that I want to accomplish the most good that I can in the shortest length of time. And God has said the way you do it is lay the foundation in doctrinal preaching. Now, this doctrinal preaching should be in the form of catechizing. Now, that may sound like a strange word, but Webster's Dictionary defines the word catechize as being this. Listen carefully. To teach especially in the principles of religion, by the method of questions and answers. And as I look back years ago into the way that our founding Baptist fathers taught in their schools, in their churches, in their homes, they would ask questions and then search out fully the answers for those questions. And this was the way they preached. This was called catechizing. Catechizing is biblical. It lays the foundation. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. You will find here the apostle 
emphasizes the importance of, again, laying foundational truth. Hebrews 6 and verse 1, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, etc., etc. In other words, there was a foundational work. And he's saying that once the foundation has been laid, then let's leave that foundational work and let's go on into the more perfect things of God. So there was a foundational work, and that work was most important. Catechizing or answering, asking questions and giving the answers is preaching in a fashion that lays the foundation. Now, in bringing this to a conclusion, if we preach without a system, then it's to preach without laying a foundation. And what type of a house will stand without a proper foundation? Catechizing puts the whole body together. Now, we have many members of our body. We can't very easily do without any of these members. We have a hand, it carries out a function. There's the truth. We can study the function of the hand. We can study the function of the arm, the leg, the head, the heart, so forth, and know all of the truth that's connected with it. But, beloved, if we don't see how it all works together in harmony in the body, we're not going to appreciate the body. And so I fear that if I would have one uh, fault to find with the preaching of the last 50 years, in comparison with the preaching of the 150 years previous to that, it would be this, that the reason why there has been so little good come from preaching in the last 50 years is that the main principles and articles of Christianity have not been explained in a systematic fashion where people can put all the body together. For example, you hear an individual one Sunday, he may take a text here out of Genesis and preach a marvelous truth there and explain how the arm functions. The next Sunday, he may take a text out of, out of Revelation and explains how the foot is functioning. But if there is not a presentation of truth, what happens is that the hearers, they know something about the arm, they know something about the foot, but they don't see the whole body functioning as a whole, a foundation that where that once that body becomes visible in their eyes, that they can begin to erect upon that foundation their Christian experience. And so as a result, we have in a, in a building today, we have individuals that have a window, they have some stone, they have some mortar, they have a few uh, shingles, but they don't see how all of these things put together. And I, I want to acknowledge that I went through some uh, three and a half years of Bible college, and I was never taught the whole body. I was never taught how to put truth together. And it's only been since examining what our Baptist forefathers believed 150, 200 years ago, how that I began to see the whole truth of God beginning to harmonize and coming together to where that once there was a foundation laid, then you were able to delve into new areas of truth and to see new mysteries of God that you had never seen before. 
So this is the important thing, I believe, that why that we have, in spite of the fact that we have ministers on every hand, we can turn on a radio and you can get 10 or 15 different sermons at one time. We have preachers galore. And yet, let's ask ourselves a question. How much good has been done by preaching in the last 50 years? How much good has been done? Does it necessarily mean that there's been no truth presented? No, I don't believe that. But I do believe that one of the root problems is that our preaching does not give our people a whole presentation of the whole body of truth, to where that the foundations can be laid so that we can begin to build upon other things that are set forth in the Bible. So this is going to be our task, and we trust as we labor together that God, by his Holy Spirit, will reveal things to your pastor and truth to you, and that we might be like the church at Berea, that we might search the scriptures daily to see whether these things be so or not. In other words, when you hear something from your pastor, from your Sunday school teacher, do not just immediately swallow it into your system. That's not the way you eat food. But you take it and you think on it, and you examine it, And you search the scriptures to see whether or not that this is what is contained in the precious word of God. So may God help us and may each of us, from the pastor on down to the smallest child that's present in our worship services, may there be something each service that you and I might be able to gain that will help us in our Christian experience to where that we might be able to witness a good testimony unto the unconverted person. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer.